0: All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here today at Hope and Anchor Church. I'm excited. We get to open God's Word this morning and continue in our teaching series called Rock of Ages. And I already looked. I know that this is week 26. That's a big deal. I normally don't know this, but I did. I looked. I planned ahead for you to let you know this is week 26. Uh, And today's message is called Seat Kit. Seat Kit. Um, So, as you know, we're into Peter's second letter now, and uh, we're still in uh, the first chapter. So in the, in the waning days of the 20th century, I was serving in the United States Air Force. I like saying it that way because it makes it sound like it's a long time ago, which it is kind of for some of you. Uh, but when you say the end of the 20th century, that has a historic feel to it, right? Right? Well, anyway, it was between 1994 and 98. See, that's not as, not as interesting. In the waning days of the 20th century, I was serving in the US Air Force. I was stationed at Holloman Air Force Base, which is in southern New Mexico in a town called Alamogordo, which means fat cottonwood. If any uh, Spanish speakers in the room, fat cottonwood. I was an aerospace physiology technician. Uh, And my job was to help train pilots and air crew uh, on how not to die, basically. How to survive a high altitude and a high G flight environment. High altitude, meaning high above the earth. High G, uh, multiplications of the pull of gravity upon you. Right now, do you know how many G's you're pulling? One, right one times Earth's pull of gravity upon your body. Well, we had trained pilots to survive in a high G flight environment uh, in which they might go up to nine Gs, um, which is kind of dangerous, actually. Um, I received hazardous duty pay for this (laughs) because it's a risky flight environment. Uh, We have fighter jets now that can outfly our pilots. And so they have to be by technology, they have to be limited on their flight characteristics because they can turn, go fast enough and turn sharply enough to actually incapacitate and kill their pilot. So you know, it's good that people like me were training them on, hor- on how to survive in those types of situations in that high altitude and high G flight environment. Uh, We utilized what was called hypobaric chambers, uh, altitude chambers that would simulate high altitude environments and we used human centrifuges. Uh, Human centrifuge, anyone know what that is? Basically it's a big mock cockpit on the end of a big arm in a big room spinning around the room real fast. Uh, We were the only training human centrifuge in the United States Air Force, so we trained pilots from all the different military branches but also from air forces and militaries from around the world. So it was really a great situation a good experience for me but in using these tools to train we helped flight crews and pilots learn skills that could help them avoid disaster and hopefully potentially save their lives but should disaster strike and a pilot and or crew members needed to abandon their aircraft that's when another group of technicians came in. Okay, you understand? We were helping them not get into bad situations where they had to abandon their aircraft, but sometimes it happened anyway. And when that happened, another group of technicians came in. Just down the road from our shop where we trained pilots was another shop called the Life Support Squadron. Ours was called the Aerospace Physiology or the Physiological Training Center. Just down the road was the Life Support Squadron, which helped pilots and aircrew stay alive if our training failed. The Life Support Squadron had responsibility to prepare a pilot to survive once they had left the cockpit, once things had gone sideways. When things had gone badly, this is where they stepped in to help the pilot and aircrew survive. They packed parachutes. They preset signals and safety devices. They also packed what was called a seat kit. A seat kit which was hidden beneath the pilot until ejection. Basically it was sitting under their seat cushion and it wasn't revealed until they had to eject. I remember attending a school called Ejection Seat Water Survival Training in Pensacola, Florida. Anyone else been to Ejection Seat Water Survival Training in Pensacola, Florida? No? Okay. No one's been there. Ejection Seat Water Survival Training, it was about practicing ejecting and parachuting into the ocean basically mimicking uh, and allowing you to rehearse a scenario where you were having to eject out of a fighter aircraft and parachute into the ocean and establish uh, a survival and rescue routine. Um, Once the parachute canopy was deployed, I was trained to release the seat kit that was strapped to the back and to the bottom of my harness assembly. So once you had a canopy above you, you went through a checklist, uh, removing your oxygen mask, your goggles, you're you're doing all these things, but then one of the points on that checklist was to reach down and release your seat kit. Your seat kit that was attached to the back of your harness. tethered by a long strap. Once you released it, it was tethered by a long strap. The seat kit then would fall away and it would dangle at a safe distance below you in order to prevent obstruction uh, during your landing procedures. Last thing you wanna do is make it safely out of your aircraft, down to the ocean, and then be all tangled up in your stuff and end up drowning. That's bad, so they want it far enough away from you that it's going to hit the water separately and be far enough away from you on its tether so that it's not going to cause you a dangerous situation, not going to cause you harm. Uh, In classroom, we had been told what was in our seat kit. True. But, until my first time parachuting into the ocean, I had never actually seen the contents. I didn't know what was actually in my seat kit until I actually had parachuted into the ocean. So, after being towed up by a boat, we basically had to stand on the deck of this ship with our parachute harness on, uh, with a parasail type parachute behind us, and you gave a signal to the boat on the other end of the rope, and it just took off and yanked you up into the air and it would tow you up to between 500 and 800 feet uh, above the boat in the sky. And then all of a sudden it would stop and wave a big green flag. And that meant you were supposed to reach forward and, and release yourself, like hit these like little clamps, these little levers to disconnect you from the boat to begin your parachute descent into the ocean. Now in that moment, this is, this is free, I was really intimidated, because all week long you've been practicing hitting the water and releasing your parachute attachments so that you could get away from your parachute once you got in the water. Well, in that moment, imagine they're waving the green flag and you're like, which ones do I pull? I really did not want to make the mistake of pulling my parachute release uh, buckles, because then I would have a five to 800 foot fall into the ocean with no parachute attached at all. I would only have two options at that point. Style or originality. <laughs> I mean that's your only options when you're free falling into the ocean. So in that moment I remember I was just like oh do not mess this one up. Hit the red handles. Hit the red handles. Don't release your parachute. And I didn't. I survived. Actually I hit the right thing. You might be surprised to know. Uh, I didn't die. So. They waved the flag, I disconnect from the tow rope, and I began my parachute descent into the ocean, and I released, I went through my checklist, and I eventually released my seat kit. Now once in the water, I freed myself from my parachute, I I pulled my seat kit to me using the tether, uh, and then I started to unpack the contents. The first thing I got out, and the first thing I set to work on was what? My life raft a personal life raft. I got my, my life raft out, I found water, I found food, drinking water, I'm in the water, but drinking water, not salt water. Uh, food packets, a radio, signal equipment, uh, fishing gear, a knife, matches, first aid, and uh, a survival blanket, and other things. So soon I had, uh, I, had uh, I had my raft inflated, and I had my gear situated, Uh, as I waited for rescue. Hours passed. They had us in the ocean for hours. And as I was waiting, I worked through my mental checklist. I followed the schedules uh, of sending rescue distress signals. Uh, And eventually, I heard the sweetest sound one in that type of situation can imagine. Do you know what it was? A helicopter. Over beyond the horizon, you start to hear the chop, 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 chop. Chop, 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 like a helicopter somewhere out there. I can't see it because I'm so low. And I hear it, I hear it, it's circling. I hear the chop of the helicopter rotors circling near the horizon as a Black Hawk finally comes into view. And soon it's hovering overhead and it's lowering a rescue strop down to me in the water. It's there to rescue me. In a matter of minutes, I was being hoisted up to the helicopter. I was dripping with ocean water, and I was relieved to be rescued, and I was thankful for the supplies I had found in my seat kit, because my experience would have been far different if I did not have those things. Would I have survived? I don't know. I'm a decent swimmer, but that's a long time to tread water. I'm glad I had the supplies in my seat kit. In retrospect, I'm amazed at one, how much stuff was in my seat kit when i actually opened it and two i was also kind of struck by how i wasn't really aware of what was in it until i actually needed it put into a situation where i actually had to utilize what was in my seat kit uh, i was kind of surprised like wow not only is there a whole bunch of things in here these are actually necessary for my survival but really that's kind of how it goes in life isn't it It's not just ejecting out of an aircraft. There's so many things that you take for granted that have been there the whole time, but until you're put into a situation where you desperately need it, maybe your life depends on it, that's when you start to really recognize and value what you've had, what's been given to you. We don't really pay attention, or we don't really become aware of what we truly have or need until we are in a difficult or a trying situation. And I imagine this was the experience of those who received the Apostle Peter's second letter, uh, those who were living in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. In the first chapter, Peter tells them that they have a seat kit. You have a quote-unquote seat kit of sorts which contains everything you need to thrive in the life with Jesus Christ. Everything you need to hold fast in your faith living in a hostile world. You've been given everything by the work of the Holy Spirit, which could be analogous to God's life support squadron, right? He has packed all the essential tools, skills, and abilities into our lives for the task at hand. None of us are unprepared. Some of us are unfamiliar, but none of us are unprepared. God has given us everything we need to survive and to thrive. In Christ, we have been given everything we need to live a godly life. So let's look at the Bible. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Today, let's look at verses 3-11. through 11. Listen for some themes that come up in this. Themes that you've been given everything you need. And there's a second theme which we'll be coming back to s- several times. The seat kit is not your life. The seat kit, the things that God has given you to thrive in your life with Jesus, are not the things that save you. You're already saved. You're already wor- you already have worth in the eyes of God. So these are some themes that you'll see as we go along. Verse 3 By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That's a great. I mean, maybe let's just stop there for a second listen closely, by His divine power, by His divine power, not by your great behavior or your awesome Bible memorization skills, (laughs) by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this, how? By coming to know Him, The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this... Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that that you really are among among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great passage. I love it that God has saved stuff like this for us, for our encouragement and our edification and our uh, development of wisdom and understanding. So let's uh, break this down. Verses 3 and 4. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to Him... To know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So, it is by God's sovereignty, rooted in his authority... Because of these things, God has afforded you and me everything we need to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to him. Does anyone stress about that? Is it just me that I'm going to just make a bad enough decision? I'm going to be just undisciplined enough that God's going to be like face palming himself? Like, what have I done? I really made, how did he sneak in here? You know, it's not about us. Everything God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ in the sending of His Holy Spirit is rooted in His sovereignty and authority, His will. By God's sovereignty and authority, God himself has afforded you and me everything we need to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to him. This means it is not up to you to manufacture the right amount of faith or the right amount of good behavior to gain salvation or achieve sanctification. I mean, sure, we can obstruct it. We can slow that process down. We can avoid and shirk responsibilities. But what God has started in you, he is faithful to complete. It all comes from God's power. All of it. Salvation, sanctification, life, joy. All these things flow from the Father. God is the source of everything necessary to live a godly life. If we hear this properly, uh, we're not given to laxadaisical, lazy, spiritually lazy living. We, live a, we, re, we should, ought to be compelled to respond with gratitude. Huh. This could lift a weight off of us. A burden off of our weary and and, and fragile hearts. Say, wow, this is all about God. This is His doing. This is something He's affecting in me. Mine is to cooperate with that, to participate, to celebrate that. He has given, God has given everything to us here and now by faith in Jesus Christ who is God's revealed glory and excellence. This, my friends, is really great news. I mean, sometimes you talk about the good news, but when you really look at it, it should be called the great news. Because it is. It is great. Everything has been given us through Jesus Christ, who is God's revealed glory and excellence. Through the marvelous glory and excellence revealed to us in Christ's incarnation, we have received all these great and precious promises through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We can now share, then, in God's divine nature. What does it mean to share in God's divine nature? It's to share in His His purity and His holiness that we can start to become accustomed to, start to uh, resonate with, uh, resemble Him more through our inner purity and holiness. So we can now share in God's divine nature and escape... Uh, meaning we can be set free from the world's corruption. What is the world's corruption? It is moral decay, moral depravity, and moral ruin that is caused by sin. The pervasive effect of the fall of disobedience and rebellion has, has infected and affected everything. Everything in the created world and in us is bent by sin away from God. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to come and to correct those things, to to reforge things inside of us so that we can share in God's divine nature and escape the world's corruption which has been caused by sin. Verses 5 through 9. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control... Oh, man... Oh, in knowledge of self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been clean, cleansed from their old sins." So, aware then, aware then of what God in His power has given us, we order our whole lives around this pursuit. We order our whole lives around pursuit of His promises in response to His grace. Okay, that's the right order, right? Because of what God has done through us through Jesus Christ, what He has provided us, we then reorient our lives around that truth, around that reality. We live all of our lives uh, in response to the grace shown to us. Now, notice the word that Peter uses here. at the. Uh, I think it's in 5b. Five, five so in the second part of verse 5, it says, uh, to view, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. What's the first word in that second sentence? Some Bibles say, add to... Uh, the New Living Translation and others say supplement. What does it mean to supplement? Add? <laughs> I kind of gave that one away, right? But why do you take supplements? Like if you take vitamins or supplements at home, uh, right, it can, create, it can correct a deficiency, it can bolster something else. Uh, but how is like your multivitamin different from oxygen? Is oxygen a supplement? (laughs) No. There's a different word for that. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, Necessary? I don't know. Or critical? Right? But a supplement. He, He uses the word supplement here, and I think that's important. Peter says supplement your faith with these things. He does not say create your salvation with these things. Right? That's important, isn't it? Supplement. Add these things to your faith. Add all the moral excellence. Add all the knowledge, the self-control, the patient endurance. All these things, though, do not supersede or replace the saving power of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why do I need to say that? Because it's in every one of us to fall into that kind of thinking, though, isn't it? It's like, man, if, I just, if I'm just morally excellent enough... God's going to pat me on the head and say, get in here. You've earned it. We have this, this little like religious brain in us that re- causes us to revert to that kind of thinking, right? If I can just make God happy enough with me, I'll be saved. And everything Peter is writing here, all the apostles writing, they're pushing back against this thinking. No, you don't please God by throwing the virgin in the volcano because you want a better crop yield or something. I mean, we've got this like mechanistic, utilitarian understanding of our relationship with God that the gospel comes to break us free from, right? Or from which the gospel comes to break us free. Sorry. I ended a sentence in a preposition. All right. Our life with God begins and ends by faith in Jesus Christ alone. If I can leave one truth with you our life with God begins and ends by faith in Jesus Christ alone in him we live and move and have our being he is our creator and our sustainer all things were made by Christ and all things are held together in Christ by our but our pursuit of Christ likeness the sustained growth, which the Bible talks about as fruit, the sustained growth in spiritual maturity, which is also called sanctification in theological terms, it requires divine supplements. I mean, be a little concerned. I mean, always look for someone who will tell you first that you are saved by grace alone, by faith, and not through works because we would all brag about it we would seriously i mean peter or paul's talking about that he's like we're saved by grace alone not by works by faith alone in jesus lest any man should boast including me <laughs> i mean paul could boast i could boast but none of us have grounds to boast we were called from death to life by god's grace and mercy shown to us in jesus christ however if anyone says to you, "That's all that's reco- that's all that our response ought to be is just saying yes to Jesus," um, that's la- severely lacking follow through. There's a whole lifelong follow through that happens in response to faith, in the response to the grace shown us in Jesus, and that is what Peter's talking about here. Add these supplements to your faith in order that you might uh, have sustained growth or show spiritual fruit, pursuing maturity, which is called sanctification. Add to your life, consistently, these divine supplements. Here, then, are the important things that you will need in your spiritual seat kit, okay? If you're taking notes or keeping score at home, I'm going to give you some cross-references, which those are other Bible verses that speak to these ideas. And just for the sake of uh, efficiency today, we're not going to stop and read them all, but I'm going to mention them so you can write them down and use those for your Bible study this week. Here, then, are the important things that you'll need to find in your spiritual seat kit, To faith, we are to add moral excellence. What is moral excellence? It's kind of a weird phrase, right? You can write this down. Mastery of goodness. Pursuing mastery of goodness. That goodness becomes descriptive of all the areas and all the things in your life, more and more so. To faith, we are to add moral excellence, or the mastery of goodness. Uh, You can write Philippians 4.8. You can write 1 Peter 2.9, some good places to cross-reference this idea of adding moral excellence to our faith, Philippians 4.8, 1 Peter 2.9. Then, to moral excellence, add knowledge. knowledge. Knowledge, yes, of God and His works in the world and His saving, saving work in Jesus, but also uh, more uh, specifically to His readers in the first century, knowledge to stand against error, and against Gnostic deception, calls away from the gospel into this like secret spiritual knowledge that that uh, is is only for the select few. This is what the early church was having to be uh, standing against uh, weird, uh, mystic sects, sects, and cults things that were claiming Christian vocabulary, but calling uh, people away from uh, fidelity to Jesus into this other pattern of Gnostic belief. So uh, to moral excellence, add knowledge, standing against error and Gnostic deception. Uh, you can write down 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, 1 John 2, 3 and 4, or the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 15. To knowledge, then add self control. What is self control? That's <laughs> something you like, man, I wish I knew. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. What is self control? How would you define that to an alien from outer space? Not ruled by your appetites, appetites? What? Yeah, not ruled by your appetites. Okay, not being ruled by your appetites? overreacting right there's a lot of ways <laughs> right self-control shows up in a lot or lack of self-control shows up in a lot of ways but basically you can say yeah Tracy super easy right No, yeah keep it yeah James talks a little bit about that right uh, discipline and abstention you do know what abstentions mean I'm I'm, de- I'm defining difficult words with difficult words You're welcome. What does abstention mean? To abstain. To abstain. To not not participate in certain things. To stand back and say, no, not for me. I choose not to because I will not be mastered. Some of us know that certain things will master us if we give them any sort of an opening in our life. So we abstain. We discipline ourselves in what we will do. And we abstain from the things that we ought not do in our lives. 1 John 5.18 First John five eighteen Romans eight twelve through fourteen Romans eight twelve through fourteen Galatians five twenty two and twenty three Galatians five twenty two and twenty three These are kind of talk more about that self control that God desires for us. So to our self control we add patient endurance uh, the ability to continue in faith and to resist sin to not be worn down by temptation as much. Uh, Luke, Luke, uh, Jesus' parable about the soils the seed of the gospel falling on different types of soil into different kind of hearts Luke chapter 8 verses 11 through 15 a great meditation spend time there what kind of soil Luke 8, 11 through 15 Romans 5, 3 through 5 Romans 5, 3 through 5 and Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. So, to patient endurance then, add godliness. Add godliness, which is obedience to God in all aspects of life. And then to godliness, add brotherly love. True participation in divine nature is to love each other. You ever thought about that way? Why why are we being commended to, to, to add brotherly love uh, because then we start to participate in the divine nature in loving each other. And then it goes from brotherly love into love for everyone. Basically, our attitude, our orientation to the world should be loving everyone in accordance to God's revealed will and desire in us and through us and in all creation. Add to our godliness brotherly love, and that leads us then to love for everyone. Um, I want to read 1 John 4, 7 through 20, if you want to flip there real quick. First John 4, 7 through 20. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from who? From God. Let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Furthermore, we have seen Him with our own eyes, and now testify, the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Now we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other because He loved us first. If someone says, I I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love God, if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God who who we can't see? And He has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. I love that passage. Set those up beside each other. Set up the uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 20 alongside the passage we're reading today, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and kind of see how clearly the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John were sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Him, learning these things from Him, and then communicating those things through their own letters. This is something we ought not miss in our pursuit of the life of with God faithfully pursue all these things and you will reap a harvest in your knowledge in your understanding and your familiarity with our Lord Jesus Christ so back to 2nd Peter chapter 1 let's finish up with verses 10 and 11 so dear brothers and sisters work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen do these things and you will never fall away then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that grand entrance. God will give you a grand entrance. and I always think about upward basketball. Does anyone want to play upward basketball? You know, the jock jams, the tunnel with the smoke machine. It's like, doon 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 doon. Introducing Jimmy, third grade. You know, and you run out and everyone's clapping and cheering, going nuts for you. Maybe that's what it'll be like. I don't know, but it, but seriously though, if we do get there and it's jock jams, <laughs> I totally called it. <laughs> all right, so, all right. So one more time, be careful here not to hear Peter saying that we have to work hard to earn or to keep our salvation. He wants to make it clear. That's why he keeps returning to this. Like, it's not about works you don't create your salvation through these things you supplement your faith in Jesus with these things he wants us to know be careful do not hear me saying that you have to work to earn or keep your salvation that would undermine the very essence of the gospel that would undermine everything else that Jesus that he or the other apostles have been teaching the church We discipline ourselves, yes. We live intentionally, yes. We aim our whole lives at the target of Christ-likeness. We seek daily to bear good fruit that confirms our chosenness, that confirms our calling by God. How we live our lives gives witness. It bears witness to our salvation. All aspects, especially those difficult, unrefined areas, there to be giving increasing witness to the salvation that actually already exists in you through faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? Your life bears witness to the validity of that salvation. Anyone living this way rises above worries then about election or about uh, falling away. Many of us were raised in a situation where we were always afraid about losing our salvation or not being saved anymore because of our bad behavior. But this works-based idea of salvation is something that Peter and the other apostles and Jesus himself war against. They battle against over and over, given any opportunity. It's not about you, because if you could lose your salvation, bad news. You would lose your salvation. It would be lost all the time, every day. I mean, I don't know how I ever thought growing up that I could keep my salvation. I mean, when I surrendered to the fact that was like, oh yeah, if I could lose it, it'd be gone. Right now, right now it'd be gone. <laughs> God is the one who saves us by His sovereignty and through the work of Jesus. We are kept in that salvation through God's sovereignty and the work of Jesus Christ. As we grow in faith, we have a growing sense of peace, or we ought to, a growing sense of peace and assurance of God's power to save and we are less inclined to sweat or be obsessed with, with, uh, about insecurity, about uh, uncertainty of our place and relationship with God. And then, having discovered and put to good use everything that's been packed into our spiritual seat kit uh, that Peter has been describing, we then wait for our rescuer to come to us. And he is indeed surely coming to us. And so when Jesus does return, we will then be lifted up. We will be lifted up out of all of our struggles and our difficulties, our fears and our failures, and we will be welcomed into eternal, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will be given a grand entrance. I mean, I've been processing that, a grand entrance. I mean, I think my default setting is that I'm just going to kind of squeak in, like kind of a squeaker into heaven, like, I don't know, hey. <laughs> kind of bring me in the staff entrance or something, because, you know, pastors. Um, but that would be given a grand entrance. Think about that. What would that be like? That they're like, Claudia, she's here. Check it out. You know, trumpets. You know, streamers. Um, Fireworks? fireworks? I mean, what else? You know, it's like uh, uh, people running ahead, blowing trumpets, like, guess what, Sal's coming. And he brought Doris too. Can you believe it? You know? Uh, (laughs) Hey, and there's Caleb, you know? A grand entrance. But there's going to be some kind of weird parade. It's going to be us together. We faithfully lived, followed Jesus. We're shaped more and more in his likeness together. And that somehow we're getting this grand entrance together and it's like, guys, this is so weird. Look at us. We're here. We made it. Thank you, Jesus. This is weird and wonderful. A grand entrance. And that, my friends, will be a good day. And it will make it all very Very worth it. It'll make it so worth it. So, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the truth of your word would sink into our hearts today. And maybe with our spiritual eyes, we'd be able to see, maybe catch just a glimpse of what that's going to be like, how weird, how overpowering that's going to be. When you come to get us, when you come and you finally rescue us from what can feel like a pretty dire situation, and you take us to be finally and fully at home with you, and we find that we're given a a, a grand entrance. <laughs> Holy smokes. Lord, I pray that you'd work those truths into our heart, but also that you would work those priorities into our heart that Peter's been talking about. That we would rest, that we would have both of our feet firmly planted in your sovereignty and grace, shown to us in Jesus Christ, his power to save, that we are saved by grace alone, not by works. But that we'd also become uh, mature enough to understand that we add the supplements to our faith that help us grow strong and to bear more and more of a resemblance to Jesus. To look like we more and more belong in your family we have those family traits those family uh, resemblances that mark us out that bear witness to the watching world is like ah that's one of God's kids look how they love look how they persevere look how they have self-control look how they're uh, prioritizing uh, godliness and and, uh, moral purity for the sake of God and his glory Oh, boy, we covered a lot today. And God, I pray that you would help us slow down to hear each of those words, to assess where we've been, and to develop the right appetites, that we would desire those things, to desire the things that your Holy Spirit wants to uh, cultivate in us, that we would bear the right kinds of fruit that lead to uh, sanctification that help us become mature and more like Jesus himself. So God, we sit in your presence, we open our hands, we open our hearts, and say, God, come and like the master gardener, work the soil of our hearts so that the gospel seed will take root and it will bear an abundant harvest of of, uh, gospel fruit. Lord, turn the soil, remove some rocks, pull up some weeds, remove some briars, do whatever it takes for my life to become fertile and productive, bearing faithful witness to what you've accomplished in my life through Jesus, in His life, His death, His resurrection, and in His ascension. And it's in His name that we make this prayer even. We're going to sit for a moment and just pray, just be with the Lord. He's faithful. Just listen closely. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and point out some deficiencies maybe some areas where you need supplementation (laughs) go through that spiritual seat kit that we talked about notice what's there become familiar with it and utilize it in your life Uh, God has given you everything you need to live a life that is pleasing to Him a life that is a blessing to Him and to the world around you so let's press in And make the most of this opportunity.